Hello and welcome to Gen Wi-Fi, the podcast where we tackle the really important generational issues like what's the Wi-Fi password and am I the only one not getting married or having kids? I'm Lauren, co-founder of Gen Wi-Fi and chief content manager. And I'm Meg. I'm also a writer on Gen Wi-Fi and chief cat herder? Question mark? I resent that because I am not a cat and you mostly you heard me. You are the most like a cat out of all of us. Okay, that's true. <laughs> do not deny that. That's true. <laughs> okay. On today's episode of Gen Wi-Fi, the podcast, Password Apply Today, we're going to be discussing the ever-important job interview process and how it's changed over the generations. Without further ado, let's take a trip back in time to the time of sock hops, malt shakes, and drive-in movies, the 1950s. The vision of your Sweet, never let me go. The year is 1958. Your heart is pounding. You clutch your purse tight in your lap and try not to fidget. Fashions are changing so quick that you can't keep up, but you hope your simple skirt and cardigan look smart. The man in front of you, Mr. Bowen, stares at your credentials and letter of recommendation. He hasn't said a word to you since he invited you to sit down. Behind you, the clock ticks as the silence drags on. Tick, tick, tick. Well, all that seems to be in order, Mr. Bowen says finally. His voice is accusatory as he asks, Can you type? Yes, sir, you say. I've been trained on both the IBM Model B and Smith Corona Clipper typewriters. If Mr. Bowen is impressed, he doesn't show it. You got a sweetheart? He asks. His eyes dart to your empty left hand and linger there. No, sir, you say. You feel guilty about the lie, but only a little bit. Robbie is technically your sweetheart, has been since high school, but he's dragging his feet about the whole marriage thing, and you're not holding your breath. You've always wanted to be a working girl anyhow. We had to let the last girl go because she got married, Mr. Bowen says. A damn shame, too. She was good at her job, but everyone knows that once a woman's married, she isn't good for office work anymore. You nod. This is why you lied about your sweetheart. You're a pretty girl, Mr. Bowen says. Any man would be lucky to snap you up and take you home. Why are you looking to work in an office? He takes a deep drag of his cigarette and looks you up and down in a way that makes you blush. I went to school for this, sir, you say, and I'm a good worker. Don't have much use for a young lady who toots her own horn, he says. But you've got a nice voice. It won't startle the clients. You know how to work a phone, I suppose. Never met a woman who didn't know how to work a phone. Gabbing all night, gossiping. Do you gossip? He glares at you over his gold-rimmed glasses. No, sir, you say. Your weekly phone calls with Millie don't count. It's not gossip, because Millie doesn't know half the people you're talking about anyway. Good, Mr. Bowen says. Got no time for girls who gossip. This is a professional workplace, and we don't need no silly schoolgirl theatrics, you understand? Yes, sir, you say. But Mr. Bowen isn't listening. 
You can start tomorrow, he says. Mr. Bowen walks behind his desk and stamps out his cigarette in the ashtray. Maggie will get you set up. You'll be starting at 75 cents for the first six months, and if by then you're not hitched, we'll up it to 85. He waves you out and you leave on shaky legs, the smell of Mr. Bowen's cigarettes following you. And just like that, you have a job. Fresh out of school with a job of your own, you're already dreaming of all the things you can buy with a salary of 75 cents an hour. The men came back from war. Some of them. I, I didn't mean to laugh at that. Some of them came back from war and there were all these women who were used to working jobs. Mm-hmm. And so the 1950s was an interesting time of conflict, you might say, between mm-hmm. women who were realizing that they could work outside the home and it was becoming more socially acceptable and men who were used to it, I guess. Yes. Well, we see the rise of um, the pantsuit in the 1940s because of, um, again, women in the workforce and looking like the professional woman. And also just as a style choice, you will wear long flowing pants. However, you see in the 1950s a lot more of a shift towards house dresses again once you hit a certain age teenagers and will wear the pedal pushers and i don't know what poodle skirts yeah well but then at a certain age they're expected to wear skirts again mm. unless you know that would be awful mm-hmm. but oh and the 75 cents an hour which is the salary that mr bowen gives her is actually true I went through and did some research. The average wage for a factory worker who was a woman was about $1 an hour. <laughs> Keeping in mind it's the 1950s, inflation, all of those different things. That's but still- yeah, so a starting salary of 75 cents wouldn't be to too put in context. Uncommon. To put in context, what would be the male equivalent of that time? Oh, you know what? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I believe it was like $1.75 or something like that. Wow. Wow. And that's factory workers. So other positions, for example, a secretary Mm -hmm. could make less or more depending, but usually less. And it wasn't uncommon. In fact, it was the common practice for employers to sack their female secretary if she got married Married. or pregnant. Mm, Yes. Because, as Mr. Bowen says, they're not good for office work after that. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them, it wasn't necessarily as a sexist move, but it was just the expected move because they believed, a lot of people at least, believed that as once a woman was married, that her place and her attention would be more centered on her home and on raising her family, which there are very noble things to do and make sure that you're keeping, you're, you're doing your best for your family. However, not all women immediately go that direction once they're married. <laughs> wait for it, wait for it. There is only, you know what I'm going to say, one direction. Oh, Nailed gosh. it. That joke is funnier and funnier every time. No, it's not. I like that you clarified too, <clears throat> excuse me. I like that you clarified too that... It wasn't necessarily blatant sexism that caused them to act this way, but society's expectations. I feel like, well, especially for me, I feel like we are very, very quick to jump right to, you know, it's sexism. They're trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, hold 
women back. Yeah, hold women back. Thanks for finishing my sandwiches. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> They're trying to hold women back, which is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that has happened and continues to happen. But we also have to look at how much of that is society's influence and just expectations. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think of it as kind of a, I guess, an analog would be um, the expectation for kids who once they are 18 and graduate from high school that they're expected at least in america to move out and either go to college or get a job mm-hmm. and more and more nowadays there are people staying home longer and going to college in their town in their hometowns um you know in order to save money in order to um kind of create an environment where they can discover themselves a little bit more as themselves, but they still have that safety net of being at home so they don't have to put themselves out into a huge financial debt that student debt has already (laughs) caused them to. Well, and see, I really like, what did you call it, an analog? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I really like... Analogy. Analogy. I really like the comparison that you drew between turning 18, moving out and going to college versus 1950s, woman gets married, she stays home and raises Mm -hmm. the children because it really puts everything in context and kind of saps a little bit of that righteous feminist indignation that I have on their behalf because it's not necessarily, again, like I said, it's not necessarily that all of society was trying to hold them back, Mm -hmm. but more... Those were the expectations. Those were the way things were. Not to say that I'm not entirely grateful that the way things were is not how we do things now, but it's it's worth looking at and it's worth understanding because when you meet these people from different generations, mm-hmm. understanding their expectations allows you to understand them and their beliefs a little more, mm-hmm. which creates tolerance. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of, you know, different generations, we will, I guess we can take this opportunity now to move into our next section. Let's look at how things have changed once you get from the 1950s into the 1980s. And you love the 80s. Oh, man, do I. The 80s scare me. The year is 1988. Your alarm goes off. You press the snooze button, only to be woken up five minutes later. When you look at your alarm clock, you curse. It's 8.15 a.m., and you have a job interview with Coca-Cola's marketing department in 45 minutes. You throw off your bed covers and sprint to the bathroom. As you rush through your morning ritual, you look at yourself in the mirror and think to yourself, All right, I can do this. This is it. The dream job. I can do this. It's a good thing you set your clothes out the night before. You put on a blue t-shirt and throw your white blazer over the top. Add some Ray-Ban sunglasses and voila, your stud business outfit is complete. By the time you're out the door, you only have 37 minutes left to get to your interview. You push your Thunderbird to its limits and wish that you drove a DeLorean instead, like Marty McFly. You'd never be late again. 
You arrive at your appointment two minutes before your interview time. Safe. A receptionist, whose hairsprayed bangs look like a catcher's mitt is sitting on her forehead, leads you to a conference room for the interview. There, you are greeted by a panel of three men. The bearded man in the middle, who introduces himself as Roger Owens, stands up and shakes your hand. The other two men nod politely. Welcome, Owens says. We at Coca-Cola are excited to have you here today. Probably not as excited as I am to be here, you say. You try to hide that you're panting from running up the stairs to get there in time. All right, the man says. Let's take a look at your resume. Do you have a copy? You panic. Your heart beats faster. Your hands tremble. I don't have a copy, you say. I sent my resume with my VHS tape. We got your initial application, but your tape never came, Owen says. He sighs. You're not the first. I don't trust FedEx. They're always losing stuff. You nod, even though you sent your tape and resume in via the post office. Owen shakes his head. It's not your fault, he says. And since we're here, we may as well talk. The interview got off to a shaky start, but by the end you're sure you nailed it. Owens and his colleagues really liked your cold pitch for a Coca-Cola campaign, featuring the band AHA and their hit song, Take On Me. Take a cold Coke on me. We'll keep an eye out for your tape, Owens says, but we'd appreciate if you dropped off your resume tomorrow. Of course, you say. You make a mental note to yourself. Create a resume tonight. So a very big thank you to my older brother, Luke, who is actually married to one of our staff writers, and he did the reading for us. So thanks, Luke. You're really cool. Also, he was born in the 80s. Actually, he was born, wait for it, in 1988. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Tell me what you love about the 80s. Okay. I, I am a film buff. I am a filmmaker. And I have an, a special place in my heart for films made in the 80s. You know, anything from E.T. to Sixteen Candles to Breakfast Club to Willow and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Any of those movies all just speak to me on a very personal level. Um, but I also love the amount of wonderment that gets through, at least in media from the 80s. I am Ex- aware that it's not romanticized. I'm trying not to romanticize it as much because there are so many things that were still wrong then. Um, like the makeup, the uh, hair, the clothes, the knee, the shoulder pads. So much, so much padding. So you said a sense of wonderment. What does that mean exactly to you? Well, the 1980s was, it comes at a time where, um, if you look at the 1970s, you have the whole world is in a bit of a crisis mode because we're in the you know the midst of the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, the Vietnam going on at the beginning of the 70s, and the Watergate scandal. So you have everybody being very skeptical and. There's not a lot of trust, and a lot of people are saying, I'm going to look out for me, number one. In fact, a lot of people would classify the 1970s as the the me generation. Wow, we must have gotten really bad as millennials for people to have forgotten that. It's not that far away. I mean, Star Wars came out in 1977 and it's celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. So Carrie Fisher, rest in peace. So, um, So the reason I would say that is 
so you have that really deep, dark time of turmoil, and both social and financial. But then the 80s come around and you have the Reagan era, which, you know, we'll put our political opinions aside and take a look at how opinions of the future went from bleak to looking hopeful. And that shows through in a lot of the media and a lot of attitudes of those growing up at the time. The, the 80s allows people to reach for the stars and try different things. And there was a lot of new and exciting, I guess, innovations going on in the 80s. You have kind of a, a technological boom or boost, not as much as we've seen in the last about 15, 20 years, but enough to really push everyone to think of the future more than just the past and present. Well, I said earlier that the 80s make me nervous. Mm -hmm. And whenever I say that, people kind of give me a weird look, as in, how can a decade make you feel nervous? But I realized I've become so used to how things are now, Mm -hmm. having my smartphone at my fingertips. If I have a question or if I wonder something, all I have to do is plug it into Google and I have Mm -hmm. the answer. And... For example, when the kids in Stranger Things keep sneaking out to go look for Will and their parents have no idea where they are, I thought it was insane that the parents would stay home and just worry. And then I realized, you don't have a cell phone to call people or to track people. And how did you meet up at the mall without texting each other to tell them, hey, you know, I'll be 15 minutes late or whatever? Do you think that maybe having a smartphone, having instant communication at our fingertips has a lot to do with how we interact with people now. And not just via technology, but maybe flakiness. I was thinking about this because Mm -hmm. it's so much easier to flake on people now than it has ever been before. I'm in love with the shape of you We push and pull like a magnet do Although my heart is falling too I'm in love with your body So baby, pull me closer In the backseat of your rover That I know you can Turn right in 100 feet My GPS tells me the final instructions as I pull up to the building I glance in the rearview mirror one last time Taking in my mop of hair that just would not obey I pull the keys out of the ignition and grab my resume from the seat next to me. Well, here goes nothing. I open the door to the lobby and look around. No one looks up. I walk over to the receptionist. Once I get within a foot of her, she quickly raises her head from her computer and smiles. Are you here for the interview? Yeah. Have a seat. Someone will be out to get you. Thanks. I sit down on a smooth leather couch. It looks like it's never been used. Right next to the couch, there's a table full of magazines. Does anyone even read them now that they have smartphones? It seems like as soon as I take my seat, someone appears in front of me. She's young, in her late 20s, if I had to guess. And she's wearing jeans and a sport coat over a faded band t-shirt. It's nice to meet you. I'm Sam, and I'll be interviewing you today. We shake hands. Following Sam to the back office, I realize just how nervous I am. My palms start sweating, and my resume feels awkward and flimsy in my hand. Do people even print off resumes anymore? I can't remember any of the good interview questions I should ask. When I sit down in the black chair across from Sam's desk, I start panicking. 
How could they possibly want to hire me? I don't even check off half of the requirements they have for the position. I'm pretty sure she can hear my heart pounding from across the room. Sam doesn't even need my printed resume. She pulls up a copy on her tablet. She glances through my resume, nodding at some parts and pausing at others. Really, what is she squinting so hard at? Maybe she needs glasses, or maybe I made a typo on my resume? Crap, I probably misspelled my name. Wait, now she's talking to me. What did she just say? Did she just ask me to program code right now? Are they going to give me a computer? Was I supposed to bring my laptop? Sam takes a piece of paper out of the folder in front of her with a pencil. It is filled with what looks like gibberish. Fix this code however you see necessary. Let me know when you're done. I grab the pencil and I hovers over the paper. I've never really coded without a computer, but I'm determined. I know my stuff, and I really want this job. When I finish, Sam looks over my work. My heart sinks to the pit of my stomach. It looks good. There's one place right here where you could have done something differently. Tell me why you decided to do it this way instead. I tried to defend my plan of action, and Sam shows me how I would go about the alternative, simpler method. Sam walks me back to the lobby. When we get there, she shakes my hand again. Thank you for coming in today. You should hear from us by the end of the week. As I walk out the door, I think of all the other mistakes I made that Sam didn't mention during the interview. I think of better ways I could have fixed this, the code. But I tell myself not to worry. At this point, I've done all I can. All I can do now is wait. to thank our staff writer Nikki and her husband Hector. I know all of my friends are married. It's like all my friends are dead. Have you seen that little children's book? Uh, but yeah, big thanks to Nikki and her husband Hector for recording the story segment for us. And so like we said at the beginning of the episode, today we're talking about job interviews and how things have changed over the generations. And I know we kind of got a little bit away from that during mm -hmm. the commentary. So what, in your opinion, Meg, are the most glaring differences between the three generations that we looked at? First one that jumps out to me is resume presentation. How you assemble your resume and present it to your interviewer, because nowadays you just email it to them and they print it out. They don't even have to print it out. They could just look at it on their tablets and have it in front of them the whole time. And also, of course, have your Facebook and your Twitter open at the same time and checking out the rest of your social media while you're in the interview talking to them. Yes. So doing their research on you, um, having access to your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, it's so much easier now for employers to go through and research the people that they're looking to employ. Well, and your online presence, of course, is a different kind of persona that you, you're putting on. You try and put your best self forward on the internet unless you're a troll, and then all bets are off. Nobody cares. But with in terms of the difference between the 1980s and the 1950s, you have a lot of different prejudices that have been removed, but then other ones have been reinstated. In the 80s, you see a, a big resurgence of... Feminism, again, with the shoulder pads. Is that called the new wave, the first wave? I, I think never... it's third wave. Third wave? I what think wave are so. we? Or what wave would we be? Or I guess whatever. we'd be fourth, but I don't. I know they have a specific term for us nowadays. Kind of pushes for women in the workplace and really starts to 
uh, highlight the differences in pay between women and men and the lack of women in certain positions. Um, and you have women who are wearing much more androgynous clothing that makes them seem, you know, taller, broader. Uh, you get the... <laughs> you don't get the curvaceous sort of look from a, a house dress in the 1980s. It's much more likely you'll see the very high-waisted pleated pants with yes. a with a flowy blouse that's still feminine, but then you get the very highly padded shoulders of blazers, lots of blazers in any way, shape, and form. And that even trickles down into um, youth styles. You see it in high schoolers all the way up through uh, CEOs of companies, male and female. I think it's fascinating too that even just the fashions of the day do a lot to characterize things. Whereas mm -hmm. the gender roles of males and females in the 1950s was pretty stringently set. Mm -hmm. You know, the man went to work, he made the money, he brought it home, the wife was in the home raising and taking care of children. And the woman's fashion emphasized, you know, the waist, the curves, all of those things that make up the perfect homemaker. Mm -hmm. And you get into the 80s, you mentioned the more androgynous fashions of the day where women were adopting things like the blazer, the suit coat that had been typically men's fashion. Mm -hmm. And they were taking it over a little bit. And you mentioned the pay gap. So mm. I think we kind of have to go there, even though it's one of those hot topics, especially now. But a couple of days ago, it was the National Equal Pay Day. Oh, really? I did not know this. Equal Pay Day on Twitter, where people were sharing their opinions and just taking the day to highlight the differences in the pay gap between men and women. And I am, I forgot to pull up the statistics. I think we're at 78 cents. 80 cents difference between men and women mm. in the in the workplace. That was a tangent. Anyway, be nice to each other. I wrote the script for the first story mm -hmm. uh, based off of different research I did about the time period. And for this one, I wanted to make it very, very poignant, the differences. I felt like that was important so that we could see, even with things on opposite ends of the spectrum, how they still come together and still have things in common with each other, even though looking at it, you can't, you almost can't possibly imagine two situations more different as far as interviewing mm -hmm. for a job. There are a lot of employers out there right now who are wondering how to deal with these millennials. Because the millennial generation has a different approach to the workforce than many other generations before. A lot of the earlier generations have a specific idea of a career ladder where you start at the bottom of one job at one company and work your way up into the position that you want. However, a lot of millennials nowadays are, are realizing that they may work for a while at one company and realize that that trajectory is not for them and they keep an eye out for something new, something that would be more fulfilling or something that they feel would be a better fit for the, their skill set. So um, a lot of uh, research that's being done right now 
on millennials in the workforce has to do with job retention and how do companies retain these these millennials and a lot of them are realizing that millennials they are looking for some place where they can do good uh, they can make a change and that their work matters in the grand scheme of things they want to be some part of something bigger uh, companies and a lot of employers still employ the kind of the old method of work where you only only give accolades to those who are in high positions and don't really acknowledge the hard work by the underlings. Millennials don't really appreciate that. They like to see the you know not only themselves but uh, their peers around them recognized for the hard work that they put in and it makes them want to work even harder. And if you can win the loyalty of these millennial workers, then they will work harder to get the job done. And they are they feel more comfortable to talk about problems that they see if they know that their work matters. It, there's a term called uh, employee engagement, where you talk about how much an employee cares about the company that they work for and sadly there's there's a very low engagement rate because a lot of people don't they don't like their job it's a drudgery and they don't really care about where the company is going and so a lot of millennials nowadays are looking for chances to connect with it finding social um, awareness social ethical awareness of a company to kind of hitch their wagon to which I think is something that's actually very admirable and wasn't bred in a vacuum. The millennial attitudes are a direct consequence of the generations that raised us, mm -hmm. both Generation X and the baby boomers. The first thing, technology, that has definitely changed the way that millennials look for jobs and get jobs. The second thing I would say is our parents' experiences. In the 1950s, you had the idea of the nuclear family, settle down, get married right away, a woman would go directly from living in her parents' house to living in her husband's house. Mm -hmm. And it worked out for some people, didn't work out for others. But what they're finding with a lot of the older generations who got married so young is that they're encouraging their children to go out to experience more, to live mm -hmm. life a little, and then and then get married, and then settle down, because it's something that they didn't necessarily have the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. So, final question tonight. What are some of the similarities between all of these job interview experiences, and what are the similarities in those generations that are helpful to us? That something that we share, you mean, across mm -hmm. the generations? Yeah. The first thing that I think of is the nervousness. When people have to go in to interview, it is completely nerve-wracking. I think another one is that fear of failure that permeates through you. It kind of builds on that anxiety, but um, is not necessarily the sole cause of it. But just the fear of the new and the unexpected and not knowing how someone else is going to react to you. And everybody understands those moments. They've all been in an interview going... I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they think of me, but here I am. I have to put on a smile and pretend I'm relaxed. It's similar across the different socioeconomic classes. All of us share that nervousness, that desire to be accepted, 
And the desire to be accepted means hoping that the people around you will like you and take you as you are, or at least as you're pretending to be. We all share that basic human fact. We want to be accepted. Mm -hmm. We have the motivation to do things with our lives. We all, to a certain point, want similar things, including love, wealth, happiness, um, happiness, acceptance, wealth, whatever it is your motivations are. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to take a moment to look around and realize that everyone, they're all people and they all have desires and fears. And that's where tolerance comes from. Understanding that, yes, there are differences, but seeing the similarities and having that foundation in the similarities to allow for other people to have their differences. Exactly. And that's a lot of what we do on our website over on Gen Wi-Fi. The goal of Gen Wi-Fi is to help create tolerance between generations. So we're not only going to highlight the differences between the generations, but we're also going to take a look at the similarities and find out what we have in common. Kind of like what we did tonight. We will do that a lot more often with a multitude of subjects and ideas and hopefully many, many more voices to join us. Yes, definitely. So if you want to read more articles about this topic of job interviews or other related topics, you can visit our website at genwifi.me. That's G-E-N-W-I-F-I dot M-E. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. They're all at official. And right now, we are also on iTunes, so yes. if you could go and subscribe there, leave us a review or rating, that would really help us out. And give us topics that you'd like to hear about. Submit stories. If you have some great interview stories, send them in to us. We'd love to hear them, and we would love to read them out here on the podcast. We'll see you on April 28th for our next episode. And with that, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off. We've talked your ear off enough. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And gals, thank you, too. <laughs>